stopping you from jumping in and joining us on Girl Camper Adventures? Are there people in your life telling you that you're crazy to travel by yourself, let alone tow an RV alone? Well, there will always be naysayers, but I'm here to say yes to life. Lots of things can happen and will go wrong, but that's all part of the adventure. On today's show, I'm talking about my worst camping moments, how I survived them, and what I learned along the way. So stay tuned. Hello, my name is Janine Pettit and I'm a girl camper. I go places and do things with other adventurous and curious women. We camp like girls in tents, vans, travel trailers, motorhomes, and even cars. We travel solo and in groups to girl camping gatherings, large and small, to bucket list destinations with friends, or on our own to wherever the wind blows us. On this show, we'll talk about the qualities of a girl camper and how you can be a girl camper too. The girl campers are having a party and you're invited. Stay tuned while we share what's happening on the back roads of America the Beautiful. The Girl Camper Podcast is brought to you by our consortium of girl camper friendly RV dealerships. General RV with 13 locations in the U.S., Setzer's World of Camping in Huntington, West Virginia, and Bankston Motorhomes with three locations in Alabama and two in Tennessee. Also providing support and sponsorship for Girl Camper is Kempco Manufacturing, makers of over 4,000 products for your RV, boat, and tailgating needs. And GoRVing.com, home base for everything you need to get started RVing. And of course, our friends at Liberty Outdoors, makers of the Max and Mini RVs. Welcome, I'm Janine Pettit, girl camping ambassador, blogger, adventurist, and podcaster, and this is episode 206 of Girl Camper, the podcast. Well, in today's show, I'm talking about worst case scenarios and all of the what ifs. So many people will give you a list of possible bad situations. The only really bad situation is you end up dead. That would be bad, but we could all say she died doing what she loved. I think it's highly unlikely we're going to have to do that, though. It's all about living life with the right balance of a healthy respect and acknowledgement of dangerous situations and a life is short and not a dress rehearsal attitude. It's your one go around, so let's talk about fear. Is there really danger or is this false evidence appearing real? How to not let the naysayers get in your head. Before we jump into today's topic, I'm here to tell you about our friends at Campco. They're out there, you know, they're helping us tailgate, RV, grill, boat, generally have more fun in the outdoors, and they make over 4,000 products to help us do that. One of my newest favorite things is the Campco Retro Camper 4x4. 
4-in-1 RV adapter sewer weight. So everybody's had this situation where you put the sewer hose in at a full hookup site and then you're running around the campground looking for a big rock or something to hold it in place. Well, Campco makes this really sweet, big, bright orange vintage camper and it just cradles the top of your sewer hose. It has a little screw on the top and you fill it up with water or sand so it keeps it weighted down. And that is one accident you don't want to have. You don't want to pull that black water valve thing and then have that thing pop up and spray all over. We don't want any of those moments. This thing is so cool. It's $24.99. You can get it over on Amazon. I love it. I love it. I love it. I also want to give a shout out to our friends at Go RVing because it's time to kick off camping season. Welcome to camping season. It's that time of year for rock skipping, day hiking, stargazing, campfires, cookouts. I can barely wait. It's a little in the high 60s today, and I feel like I should be out there, even though it was 30 and raining yesterday. But Go RVing is getting ready in this summer. Go RVing wants you to make the most of your getaways with the comfort and convenience of an RV. So whether you're looking to explore new destinations, increase your comfort level, escape the city, or just simply stay up and look at those stars, an RV is a perfect way for your unique travel goals. So there is an RV out there for everyone. What is it that you want to do? Check out the latest and greatest models at GoRVing.com. The open road is calling, so find your way. Okay, everybody, last week on our delightful Facebook group, Girl Camper, Terry Pinder wrote a post about overcoming fear. This post just kind of went viral. It was just up top there for three days because there was something like 350 comments and 700 likes and emojis on it. This really, really struck a chord. So let me just first share with you what Terry wrote because I really think... It's a lot of what is going on in a lot of our heads. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute about how we can let ourselves get into a certain mindset and it becomes dangerous for us. But Terry, I have the best admiration for you because you fought it. And I just love that. So Terry wrote on Girl Camper, I am married for 35 years, frequently mocked for being a bad driver always riding shotgun with hubs driving and deciding where we are going and when we are stopping. I joined this group just to follow and watch each of you as you're doing girl camper things without ever seeing myself going camping without my husband. Well, this is sort of a metaphor for so many aspects of my adult married life. And while I am proud of my successful marriage, the reality is for a marriage to work for four decades, one has to step away at times from his or her own goals, surrendering self to the we. And furthermore, despite my husband being a decent, kind, and hardworking man, the default in our society, at least in my generation, is for women to surrender to the man's goals, dreams, and travel plans. I am, by all accounts, a strong woman who speaks her mind with incredible tenacity, able to accomplish anything I set my mind to. I am intelligent and accomplished in my career, having pieced it together around birthing, raising children, and the ebb and flow of my husband's business, which kept me from relocating for career advancement. But I had become afraid. 
Afraid of being alone, afraid to drive, afraid to stand in my own power, having learned that there is nothing more unlikable in this world than a strong woman willing to speak her mind directly. I was feeling invisible, gagged, and unhappy. I had canceled plans to attend the Florida Herbal Conference because of a conflict with the demands of my husband's business. But at the last minute, on Friday, I loaded up the Mini Max, got the hubs to hook her up for me, and drove to the conference. I camped in the field, never unhooked, never backed up, but I did the whole thing myself. I would not have done it if not for the inspiration of this group. And then in large caps, Terry writes, thank you all for not being afraid to stand in your own power. So, Terry, I can't even tell you what went through me when I read your letter. It really struck a nerve with me because personally, I had lived in that land of what ifs. And I wrote a reply on Girl Camper to Terry's, and I'll share my reply, um, which also got a lot of reaction from people, too, because I think we are... um, we are a group of women who really understand the scenario. And it's it's like that frog in boiling water, right? If you throw a frog in a pot of boiling water, he jumps right out. But if you put that frog in warm water and you turn that heat up and you slowly heat it up, you don't even realize the water's getting hot. So I wrote back to Terry and I said... Terry, your your post today really struck a nerve with me. I lived in a land of what ifs. Whenever I would tell my husband I wanted to do something, a list of things that co- could go wrong would spill out of his mouth. I took them in and I really thought I was being so responsible because I was considering all of the possibilities. And then one sunny day, I thought to myself, wait a minute. All of these other people are out there doing these things and nothing is going wrong. How much of the things I was fearing were legitimate concerns and how much of it was my husband's fear for my safety being projected onto me? I might get a flat. Yes, that did happen. I might have a truck breakdown. Also happened and I'm still here to tell you about it. I might get lost. I now love getting lost. I might be all alone and afraid. Been there too. Thank you, Jesus, for calming my fears. I stopped and I looked at each fear that I was letting keep me from doing things and I asked myself, how real was it? Okay, I'm not going to be hiking in Yellowstone without bear spray. Legitimate fear. I won't be crossing Death Valley with a half a tank of gas and no water in my camper. I'm not going to tow on super windy days. I have learned to separate legitimate reasons for concern from fear that is unrealistic and unnecessarily paralyzing. I will practice safety and be sensible, but I won't sit at home because something might go wrong. That's all part of the adventure. So that was my reply to Terry's, and we had such a great dialogue going on on our Girl Camper Facebook page. I hope you remember because that is just the most fun group out there, and it's just a great place to put out an idea and not have people shame you and make you feel terrible. We have such a lovely community there. But this post and my reply really struck a chord with so many people that it inspired me to do this podcast episode on the what ifs that have actually happened to me in the last 15 years of solo RVing. 
none of these worst case scenarios have happened when my husband was with me. And apologies to those in Tennessee. Don't be alarmed that 50% of these incidents happened in your beautiful state. (laughs) It's a high number of events because I love camping there and I am there so often. I hope that sharing these will help other women to understand that things can and do go wrong. You can count on it happening like death and taxes. At some point, there's going to be a breakdown, weather conditions or circumstances that are going to alter your plans. So here are a few of mine and what I learned from them. Let's start with my worst wind story also in Tennessee. So I was headed to the Country Living Fair to display my camper when that fair was in Nashville. This has got to be six or seven years ago. It actually takes place right outside of Nashville. And I took the southern route from my house, traveling down 81 South in Virginia, which is just one of uh, my favorite drives. It's just the beautiful rolling countryside of Virginia. And once you get out of that metro Washington, D.C. area and a little further past Front Royal, a little further south, the road really gets um, lightly traveled. It's pretty heavily traveled up north, but once you get towards Southern Virginia, it's just an absolutely beautiful ride. But the minute I got on there, I noticed the wind. And as the day went on, the wind got worse. At that time, I was towing my 1966 Go Tag Along, and every once in a while it would catch a gust and sway. Um, I had an anti-sway bar on it, but it was really not a big match for these heavy gusts. They were just heavy gusts that would hit you, and then you'd squeeze the steering wheel, and you hit the brake, and you get that scary feeling. So... As I was going along and the day was um, getting more into the day, um, it just, I was fighting the wind. And it was really kind of mentally exhausting, you know, because you're not just rolling along looking. You're thinking about it constantly. You're on guard. You're you're watching for the wind. And that is a two-lane there. So when the trucks go by you, you get the suction. So, oh, getting very tense. So I got off 81 and I took a secondary road, Route 11. It runs parallel to 81 and it goes all the way down south to Knoxville and comes all the way, even further than Knoxville actually, and goes all the way back up to Harrisburg. So I drove along on that for a little while, um, just going 40 miles an hour. And when you're on 11, it's a stop and go. It's, it's the you know, the towns along the way. So it's pretty, but if you're trying to make time, it's kind of annoying. Um, but there, without the openness, you know, the roads are not open there, and there's buildings and trees and everything. So the wind was a little more manageable. But on this particular day, it was really pressed for time because I had to be at that venue the first thing the next day. So I kept pressing on, even though I was feeling stressed over it and I felt like I wasn't making much progress. I left really early in the morning, like 7 a.m. But by 4 p.m., I had hit the Knoxville area. If you've ever taken this route, when you go down 81 South, you're just heading south. But when you get to this Knoxville junction here, it's a sharp turn. And all of a sudden, instead of heading south, you're going to Nashville, you're driving west. So as soon as I made that turn and started going in toward Knoxville, the wind now was head on and the traffic was much heavier too. And it just became 
paralyzing. Like the wind was so bad. And in my mind, I'm like, what am I going to do? I've got to get there. I'm, you know, I'm still five, six hours away and I got to be there by first thing in the morning. So I pulled over and I went into the rest stop there and they have this great big giant monitor there that is showing the weather fronts. And I could see it. I could see where this whole line of thunderstorms, one of these big red lines that goes from like Alabama all the way up to Maine. There was no avoiding this thing. There was just a storm front and it was coming at me. And so I just decided to hunker down there and wait for it to pass. It was a really, really gusty storm. And I was tucked safe and sound in the rest stop building. And I read in my camper for a while watching my Doppler. And then when I when the thing was right on top of me and my trailer and truck were shaking in the parking lot, I just went inside and I watched the thing from inside a nice little safe building. So I learned two lessons in this little wind drama. The first one is leave a window of time for the unexpected. So I was so stressed over having no cushion that I kept pressing on in the bad conditions. Really, I should have been paying closer attention to the weather and leaving myself a window for something to go wrong. As it turned out, I didn't have a choice. I had to pull over. I had to stop. I was exhausted by then. And I ended up, um, you know, just driving another hour or so after the storm went through and then not getting to the setup place at the Country Living Fair the next day until after setup was closed and a nice state policeman let me in by a flashlight at night. And it all worked out fine because I got in there first thing in the morning and I set my trailer up. So the second lesson in this one was to just learn to sit still and wait for the bad weather to pass. Um, Once I made up my mind to do that and I was looking at that weather front on the Doppler, I'm like, this is the problem. This is why I've been fighting the wind all day. This big storm front is coming at me. And really, once it passed and I drove another uh, a little while more, I had no wind at all. So... Keep an eye on that weather and make sure um, to leave yourself a little window for the unexpected. Bad wind story, but it all worked out. Okay, lesson number two of the what ifs. Also weather related, also in Tennessee. (laughs) Again, just Tennessee, I love you. I camp there all the time. So that's why so many things have happened to me in Tennessee. So this was actually the return end of this trip. Like this, other than the country living fair, which is always so much fun. The travel to and from on this trip was just a nightmare. So when I was returning home from this trip, when that fair is over, everybody's there. All those booths have to be broken down. Well, I don't have a booth and all that. It's just my camper. So I could usually get out of there pretty quickly. So I had packed up my camper. And by the time I was cleared to leave the campground or the fairgrounds, it was about 630 at night. So the trip from central New Jersey to Nashville is a little over 12 hours, and it's not something I would ever want to do in one day. I have done it, and it's not a good idea. Um, I did it when I was younger. I don't do it anymore. So I can, though, with a good night's sleep, do an eight-hour day. So I decided that since I was wide awake and all revved up, that I would try to get a few hours under my belt so I would have less driving the next day. So I took off with no particular destination in mind, just moving toward New Jersey on the same route I had come out on. 
And I was talking to my husband on the phone and listening to the radio and all of a sudden it's 10 p.m. and all of a sudden I feel very tired. And so now I'm in the middle of nowhere and I hadn't really looked for campgrounds. I just thought, you know what, I'll probably just stay in a hotel on the way home because my camper was full of staging stuff and it wasn't really a camping trip. So I started looking for a hotel and you know, it's a pretty dense area. So by the time I pulled off the first exit, there was a bunch of hotels there. And I was shocked to discover that like every single one of them was sold out, which is nothing you ever think it's going to happen, you know. So apparently there was some big event going on locally. And so I pressed on to the next exit only to discover that they were also sold out. Now I get back on the highway and I'm getting even more tired and I'm getting into um much more rural area. I'm getting away from hotels and toward a more rural area, but I was also hitting pockets of heavy fog. Now it's like 11 o'clock or so, heavy fog, I'm really tired. And the distance between the exits was going from five to six miles to like 18 to 20 miles between exits. So now I'm like, oh my God. So I'm looking for this hotel and my kind of hopes were shrinking here and the fog was becoming more and more dense and you really couldn't see what was in front of you until you were right on top of it. And you literally couldn't see where the lanes were. So myself and a few of the other people on the road were driving with flashers on and going really, really slowly. I got behind a truck and I just followed his taillights in order to see where the road was. And really, adrenaline fear was helping me to stay awake, although I was really, really tired. So... I wanted to pull over to use my phone. So I'm in the car by myself and you you certainly don't want to be playing with your phone while you're driving in fog in the middle of nowhere. So I wanted to pull over and see where a hotel or campground or even anything, a Walmart parking lot at this point. But I was terrified to park on the shoulder because there weren't any lanes and it was soup. Anyone could have plowed right into me from behind. So... I finally saw an exit and I decided I just got to get off this highway. I didn't really care where it led me. I just wanted to get myself to a safe place where I could spend the night. Even if there wasn't a hotel around me, I just wanted off this highway, which felt so dangerous to me. So when I got off, I was in a long line of tractor trailers that were also getting off. Like the, the fog was so heavy and then it would clear up for a mile or two. And I think, oh, thank God we got through that. And then it would begin again. So I realized like this is here for the night. I just got to get myself out of this situation. So when I got there, there was a hotel um, at the next exit. When I got to, I we, I got off and I got to a Walmart parking lot and it was just loaded with tractor trailers. I could barely get a spot in this Walmart parking lot. But I, when I was there, I had the opportunity to look at my phone and I saw, oh, there is a hotel at the next exit. I called and they had openings, but the next exit was 20 miles down the road. And I thought, you know what? This is one of these things where you got to make a call. It's like one o'clock in the morning now, one thirty in the morning, and I'm totally exhausted and I'm stressed out. And 
it's still super foggy. Do I just got myself out of that bad situation. Do I want to get back on the highway and chance going 20 more miles? And the trucker I was following got off. So who would I be behind? You know, there was a little bit of safety knowing that that I was behind that truck and I had some kind of guidance because that's how bad it was. So I was so happy to be in that parking lot. I just decided I just got to stay here. So I got out of the truck and I went into my trailer and it was like two o'clock in the morning now and the temps were in the high 30s and I was totally exhausted. But the problem was that I had my vintage trailer and the only heat that I had in that vintage trailer was an electric heater and it has to have hookups at a campground. So I got inside my trailer and it's like 39 degrees in there. I'm absolutely freezing in the trailer because I had taken all of the extra things out of my camper because it was on display at the Country Living Fair. I really wasn't camping, so I was minimizing all the junk in there. So for the next five hours, I went back and forth between my truck cab where I'd get in the truck and turn on the heat for a while and then try to go back inside the camper and see if I could fall asleep. By 7 a.m., light was coming out and I could see that there was a Burger King attached to that parking lot. So at least I was able to get a cup of coffee. But I got to tell you, it was an absolutely miserable night. The fog didn't lift for hours and I never left that Walmart parking lot till about noon. And I ended up staying in a hotel that night. I was so tired driving all day and I kept having to stop and take a nap because I was so cold and tired. So every once in a while, I miss my vintage camper. And then I remember this kind of stuff. And I'm like, no, I don't miss you. You were cute, but I don't miss you. So lessons learned here, have a plan. I should have found a spot three hours away ahead of time and made sure that I could get in there before I left. That was a big regret. You know, I just hit the road like, oh, everything's going to be fine. And I should have checked the weather as well. Um, I don't know how predictable fog is, especially when it's just like a little pocket. But this area of Tennessee where I was driving through, that's an area where fog develops all the time. But I had no warning on that and I didn't know anything about that. So to me, the fog is far worse than driving in the wind or the rain. When you can't see, it is so dangerous. So the other thing that was a problem with this whole trip is I didn't have any emergency things in my truck. So now I always travel with an emergency blanket. I even have those silver emergency blankets. I would have given my right arm for one of those little pocket ones that pull out from your backpack. That would have been great. Um, I have an emergency pack in my car now. I have my little... Um, um, automatic thing that boils water for me in an emergency. So I wished I had had some kind of hand warmers, extra blankets, anything hot to drink. So one of my most miserable camping outings ever. <laughs> but I live to tell. And by the grace of God, that, that was really dangerous. And I'm so much more conscious of it now. So what if number three, oh, I hate to even say, also in Tennessee, <laughs> years later, 
Tornadoes in Tennessee, and I'm sorry to pick on you, Tennessee, but um, it's really just because I camp there so often. Well, a bunch of us girl campers went to an event in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. It was a chuck wagon cook-off, which is held every year in late February. So my friend Mary and I really wanted to go to this, but it just didn't make sense for us to tow two campers and two trucks from New Jersey to Pigeon Forge and then come back home. So we decided to take my truck and Mary's camper down there and we were going to share. So we got there and the campground was pretty crowded and the campground was also on a creek. So we took some sites up the hill away from the creek because it was raining like crazy. And that creek did spill its banks over onto the campground and some women who were down on the creek had to quickly gather everything up and bring their campers up to higher ground but we were high and dry and we were having a great time dodging raindrops between rounds of thunderstorms we were so happy to be camping in february that we didn't even care that it was raining because it was snowing in new jersey so temps in the 60s even if it's raining felt great to us and we all went to bed on saturday night feeling great right And it had been thunderstorming on and off, but it didn't seem like a big deal. We were just, you know, it's just thunderstorms. It's like normal down there. So about one o'clock in the morning, Mary wakes me up. She goes, do you hear that? Do you hear that? Well, the campground owners were going through the parking lot with a loudspeaker saying everybody had to take shelter because of an approaching storm that had produced um, tornadoes about an hour west of us and was now coming in our direction. So there was no severe weather happening at the time, but we all pulled out our phones and we could see on the Doppler that it was coming and it looked nasty. Another one of those big, red, huge lines of thunderstorms stretching for hundreds of miles. You couldn't ration that somehow it was going to go around you. It was like Alabama to Connecticut. You know, it's going to hit you. So that's not something you should chance or try anyway. So when someone gives you a warning to get out of harm's way, you should just do it. No questions asked. So the campground had a couple of shelters, and one of the shelters was their cinder block bathrooms, which I would agree would be better than an RV, but to me didn't feel great either. So a few of the girls that were with us, because there had to be 60 of us camping there, so everybody was like kind of getting a plan. So a couple girls found this hotel motel down the road. The rooms were only $45 a night, and the girls piled in four per room, two per bed, just to, you know, ride out that storm. They probably did the smart thing because they went right back to sleep. And, you know, their worst fear is I hope my trailer is there in the morning. But Mary and I got up and we just grabbed a pillow and we threw everything that we thought might blow away into the truck. And we headed up to the log cabins that some of the girls had rented for the weekend that were on the campground property. That, to me, seemed a little more substantial and comfortable than the cinder block bathrooms. So these log cabins were really substantial. They weren't the, uh, they had been on the grounds for a lot of years. They were literal log cabins, not these little houses that they bring in and put in. So these were substantial buildings with living room, dining room, kitchens, bathrooms, real furniture. So the girls let us in. They all went back to bed. They had beds and were, you know, sleeping through the thing. But we were able to get a spot in the living room and 
and just sat there watching the Doppler on this big TV all night long. And the storm didn't actually pass us for a couple of hours. And by the time it had gotten to us, it had broken up a lot. And we ended up with just a little gusty thunderstorm that took about five minutes to go through us. Um, I still would not have wanted to be in the camper for that. So lessons here have a good weather app with a severe weather alarm. So there's several good apps. You can put one in your phone and then you put in the zip code of where you are. And if any severe weather goes off, it's going to wake you up. My mom has one of these NOAA, um, NOAA, the National Weather Service um, um, radios. And she keeps that on her nightstand because where my mom lives in Waxahachie, Texas, man, that thing goes off in the spring every three or four days. So don't be foolish either. If you are being told by the campground to take shelter, take shelter. There were some people there that said, ah, it's going to be fine. Or I'm going to wait in my camper until it's right on top of us. I didn't want to do that. You know, I don't want to be dodging tree limbs that are blowing through the air. So just don't be foolish. Take shelter when they tell you to take it and have a good weather alarm app and keep your eye on the sky. All right. What if number four? What if I have a vehicle breakdown? Well, I have had several. I had my truck break down when I was all by myself in Sturgis, South Dakota, and the motorcycle thing wasn't going on, but it was about a week before. I was on my way to Yellowstone and my check engine light kept coming on. And I I had to make a decision because I, I looked at where I am. Sturgis is a pretty, you know, big town there and it was pretty populated, but I knew where I was heading too. I was heading west across South Dakota and into Wyoming in the middle of nowhere. So I wasn't sure if the check engine thing was going to be something serious, but I sure as heck didn't want to be in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming and find out, yeah, that was kind of serious. I should have stopped and had it checked. So nothing seemed wrong, but I just wanted to get a check. Now, my friend Mary was with me and we were all going to go to Devil's Tower together. But, but since I, I didn't really have a breakdown, I had an issue. I wanted to get it checked. I told Mary to go ahead to Devil's Tower because I didn't want her to um, miss out on her vacation waiting for me, even though we have that, you know, no girl left behind thing. But I was fine. So I was able to find a really good Ford dealer in Sturgis. I can't remember their name, but if you ever need a Ford dealer in Sturgis, they were absolutely wonderful to me. And I had to hole up there for a day or two. I had to have the wastegate valve replaced. And then I was on my way with peace of mind. So it was just a nuisance. It was a nuisance. I lost two nights out of my trip and, and lost reservations I had paid for. But it was fixed and I was on my way and I didn't have to worry about it anymore. The far worse breakdown I had was the one I had on the Pennsylvania Turnpike where all of a sudden, my truck made the most terrible noise. I actually did a podcast episode about that. And then it lurched forward. All of the systems died. Everything went off in the truck. I'm in the right-hand lane on the Pennsylvania Turnpike going about 60 miles an hour when the truck just died and lurched forward. Thank God I was able to just get over on the shoulder and thank God it was right before a tunnel. So I wasn't in a tunnel and there was construction, like there was all kinds of things that could have happened that didn't. So it was all good timing for something that had to happen. I had just set out on a three week trip and I was only about four hours from my home. 
I had just had my truck serviced. I had just had a tune-up. I had just had four new tires put on it. I couldn't imagine for the life of me what that noise was. And I was still on the phone with my towing service when a turnpike truck pulled up. So it turns out when you're on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, only the contracted towing company that works on the turnpike can rescue you there. So that was lovely because my insurance company paid them and I didn't have to do anything. And I mean, he literally pulled up behind me five minutes after this thing happened. And I said to him, I, I'm afraid to go forward. And he said, I, I don't think I would you know go forward either so this man was able to hitch up my camper to his tow truck after he loaded the truck on the flatbed we were only about 15 miles from the ford dealership in bedford pa and so we backtracked there that ford dealership had a satellite car rental service in it there and there was a campground one mile away (laughs) So I'm just telling you, things can go wrong, but things can go terribly right when things go wrong. Within less than two hours of that bad noise happening, my truck was at the dealership, I had a rental car, and I was settled in at a pretty campground. So the uh, the tow truck driver took my camper over to the campground for me, and he even got out and helped me level it and hook it up and everything before we took the truck and dropped it off at the Ford dealer. I got myself a rent-a-car. They were super busy. It took four days before the dealership informed me that the truck had thrown a rod. It was not repairable. I was heartbroken that my truck was done and my three-week trip that I had planned so long was basically canceled. So the good news was that I met a lovely couple parked next to me at that campground, Joyce and her lovely husband. I enjoyed some unexpected downtime and I did get a new truck. So lesson learned on this one, even though I had serviced my truck and had done everything that I thought, you know, my tires were new, I had uh, a tune-up, I did everything that I could do to make sure I was safe as can be. I could have had no idea the car was going to blow a rod. The most important thing for me was to have those good insurances. So I had like um, um, a policy that actually covered my rental car. And I had a policy that covered my hotel room for unexpected breakdowns. So really, I lost my truck in this deal. But and I lost my trip, but I didn't have to pay a lot of -of out-of-pocket stuff for unexpected things. So just make sure you know what your insurances are, what they're going to cover, have all your numbers handy, and then just hit the road knowing that you've got everything you've done in place in case something does go wrong. So what if number five? (laughs) Stuck for the night without a campsite. So I'm not one to really wing it. Even when I am traveling without reservations, especially since my terrible incident in uh, foggy Tennessee that night, even when I'm traveling without reservations, I will normally see what's on my projected path and get an idea of the availability early in the day so I have a general idea of what my options are. Now, a lot of times when I'm going someplace, I'm not traveling for days at a time, but when things happen like this, like when I'm traveling um, to my mom's house, driving from New Jersey to tennis, um, to Texas. So that's a four day trip. It's, it says on, you know, MapQuest or, or your app maps that 
it's 24 to 26 hours. It always is really more like 32. It's like four eight-hour days. And so I usually do really well up front. Like my first day, I can usually get 10 hours in. And I don't like to make reservations because I don't know how tired I'm going to be. Am I going to have to take a nap or whatever? I just like to figure that out as I go along. So I like to get an idea early in the day of how far I might get that day. And I'll, I'll go out like six hours ahead of me and I go, okay, in six hours, I'm going to be around this area and I'll figure out what's available. So I was traveling home from a trip out west and I knew I would hit western Pennsylvania by late afternoon. So when I cross over from Ohio into Pennsylvania, I'm about six hours from home. So I knew that if I were getting there at four in the afternoon, I was not going to push that. I didn't want to be on the road for six more hours that night. So I knew I was going to spend one more night on the road and I had a few places on my radar to choose from. And as I got closer, I decided on a campground that was near Somerset, PA. And honestly, I can't even remember the name of this campground. But I called and I made a reservation and I was told that the office would be closed. You know, a lot of offices close at like five or six, especially if you're in the shoulder season, which I believe I was at the time because it was quite cold out. I think this was happening in April. And so I knew that the office would be closed. And, you know, they told me the system, you're going to arrive, there's going to be an envelope with your site number and a map, and that's going to be waiting for you. And it's going to be attached to the door. I think I paid him by a credit card online. So standard operating procedure for arriving after hours, and I didn't think anything of it. Since I was right there, I stopped at the Max factory before I headed to the campground. And then I ended up staying late and gabbing with people and playing with the camper. And I didn't arrive at the campground to much, much later than I had originally thought. And it was one of these campgrounds where on their ad, it says something like they're two miles from the highway. That's how they advertise it, but it's more like 15. So I followed this really dark winding road until I finally arrived at dark, only to discover that although my envelope was there, the gate that locked up the campground at night had a chain and a padlock on it. So it had a keypad, but I couldn't use the keypad because the gate was chained with a padlock. So I was very confused and I called the office number and I got a machine telling me what the hours were and a different number to call in the event of an emergency. So I called that number and I got a message saying something like, we can't get to the phone right now, but leave a message, which of course I did. Then I sat in this gravel parking lot in front of their office waiting for a return call that never came. So now again, it's like 10, 11 o'clock at night and I had to decide. So again, it's like 40 degrees outside. Fortunately, this time I had my Mac so I could have heat on, even though I didn't have any hookups. So I decided, um, I had to decide whether I wanted to try and get to a new place, which would mean retracing my steps 15 miles back on that long winding road, getting back on the campground, going to the next campground, which would also be closed, and you know, doing their late night registration thing or just sleeping in the parking lot there. Um, So the scary part to me was that 
I arrived at dark. You don't know what's around you, you know. So I'm in this parking lot. I'm right in front of the office. So I figured, you know what, let me just get in my camper, get under the covers, turn on the heat, and in the morning, I'll deal with this guy and get my money back, right? So at about 2 in the morning, a huge pickup truck, a big diesel, making all this noise, pulls up literally 10 feet behind my camper and a bunch of very animated young men with really loud music get out and they're in the parking lot and they're right next to me and then they begin walking around the trailer and talking and now they weren't threatening in any way although it is intimidating like why are you walking around my camper I'm wide awake every bone in my body is on like high alert um One of them was getting ice out of an ice machine on the porch of the campground office, but they were all like, wow, look at this cool camper. I never saw one of these before. They weren't knocking on the door or doing anything like that, but I was not happy. I was afraid. I was like, I don't, you know, what am I going to do here, right? Now, all the shades were closed. They couldn't see inside the camper or anything. So this all lasted about five minutes, which felt like five hours. Um, But when they left, it took my heart rate like three hours to return to normal. And I was just settling in and falling back asleep when another car of revelers appeared to pick up some ice. So also apparently intrigued by the trailer, they had a little walkabout too. So after they left, I just had a serious talk with myself about whether I should just stay here or leave. By this time, it was like four o'clock in the morning. And I figured even the most diehard party goers would probably be getting tired by now and that maybe that was the last round of ice buyers for the evening. But it was just another one of those awful nights with no sleep and I couldn't get out of there fast enough the next morning. I called the campground office the next morning. I mean, I just left at like 6.30 in the morning and I went over to the uh, closest rest stop on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. There's a really good rest stop out by Somerset on the western end of the Pennsylvania Turnpike. And I just got in there, pulled all my shades, turned on my heater, and slept for like three or four hours. I would have been better off there. I would have felt safer there than I did at the other place. So I called the campground office and was told by the manager that he had a family emergency and he locked the gate when he left because registered people there know that there's another entrance with a keypad. So he didn't leave any of that information for me or I don't know why he didn't call my phone or anything, but I had paid with a credit card and they did refund me. Um, He also told me at that time, I told him what happened in the parking lot with these people. And he said, there's a local watering hole up the road. It closes at 2 a.m. And that must be where the revelers were coming from. But all in all, not my best night at all. Lesson learned here. I should have read the campground reviews because when I did read them the next day, I saw several comments about that watering hole up the street and seasonal renters who frequented it and came back late at night being very, very noisy. So I'm not sure I would have ruled it out because of that, but at least I would have, when I was locked out, I would have known 
where those people were coming from. Also, a good rule of thumb I like to camp by is to always arrive before the office closes and before dark. So you're familiar with your surroundings. You know, it feels like a bit of a black hole when you haven't had a walkabout and, you know, before the night sets in and you don't really know where you are. And it's like that little spooky kid thing where that, you know, bathrobe hanging on the closet door looks like, you know, a big scary person in the morning you wake up in the light and it's just a robe hanging on the bathroom door but it that's how the campground always feels to me at night like what was that noise what was it well then you wake up in the morning and you go oh everything looks fine so okay last one my last what if transporting someone else's trailer so a few years ago bff carol bought a new trailer new used trailer vintage trailer I'm sorry to say this was also in Tennessee, but nothing to do with the state. So the seller of the trailer was a friend of both of ours, and she was out of state. And the trailer had been stored at an RV um, place, and she um, told us that she was going to have the guy um, who ran the place pull it out of storage, check it, check the tires, do everything. And he was going to be good enough to tow it to a mutual friend's house that was right off the highway so we could get off the highway, get the trailer, and get right back on. So that's what we did. We got to the girlfriend's house. We saw the trailer. We inspected it. We checked the tires, and everything looked good. And our plan was to pick it up, turn right around, and start right back from home because it was a couple days before the 4th of July, and we all had 4th of July plans. So this was just a hit and run. We're going to go down there, get the trailer, turn around, and come back. We had three drivers, so we should have been able to just really make tracks and get home. So we looked it over. Everything looked great. We hitched it up. All the lights were working. We did all the safety checks and headed out. Driving through Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge was slow, so we didn't really notice anything unusual at first. And the truck I was towing with had a towing capacity of thousands of pounds higher than that trailer weight. And the trailer was empty, so we knew we were all right there. Once we got on the highway, though, I noticed a little sway when I got around 55 miles an hour, and I backed off thinking, that's odd. It shouldn't be doing that, but I just slowed it down. But every time I even came close to 55, that thing was sway. So after a really big, scary sway, I got off and I found an RV dealership. And I asked their team to look at it and see if they could determine what was happening. So several people from the service department came out. They all looked at it. They all said everything's correct. But I bought an anti-sway bar and they installed it for me. So $50 fix. I got back on the highway thinking problem solved, right? We didn't get very far when we had a really big, really scary sway. So the scariest sway ever. I really thought the thing was going to go over. And so I got off the highway immediately at the next exit, got on my favorite secondary road again, Route 11, running parallel to 81, driving through uh, Tennessee on this alternate secondary road. And as long as we were under about 40 miles an hour, we were fine. But I was going through every scenario in my head trying to figure out what could be causing this sway. 
So we stopped and we put all of the luggage we had onto the front bench to add some tongue weight to the trailer because we thought maybe it's too light because there's absolutely nothing in it. Really no difference at all, still swaying. We drove a few more hours and we saw another RV dealership. The whole time it's we're going 40 miles an hour on stop and go road. See another RV dealership and we pull in and a bunch of gentlemen came out to take a look. Everybody pronounced it fine. Everybody from their service department. Nobody had any suggestions, you know, so we got back on the road. So we got to a hotel that night and I got on my laptop at night and I just read everything I could find on the internet about the causes of sway. I went to Mark Polk's website. I read everything on it. There was nothing in there that we could identify as the culprit. We had checked everything. We just couldn't figure out what was causing this. So we decided at that point that even if it took us three days to get home, we would just keep going 40 miles an hour on the secondary roads all the way to New Jersey, and we would figure the problem out once we got home. So second day on the road, riding along on this secondary road, and I see this garage, an old mom and pop looking service station, not an RV dealership, a service garage where people go to get their tires rotated and new brakes. So I decided to just pull in and see what they thought. Like I had a gut telling me like, let's just pull in and ask these people. So when I walked in, I found a woman behind the counter who was actually the owner of this service station with her sister. Um, They had bought this from their dad. They grew up in the business. Her brothers went in another direction, and these two sisters owned Singleton Service Garage. So she was the cutest little lady with a pink T-shirt and a French manicure, and I told her what was happening as we were walking outside, and she looked at the trailer, and the first thing she said to me is, we're going to check your tire pressure. So I told her that the dealership had checked it before delivering it the day before. And she said, well, I'm just going to double check. And she pulled out a tire pressure gauge out of her back pocket and got down on the ground next to the stem. And she looked up at me and said, these tires are inflated to 55 pounds. They're supposed to be 32. So she checked the other side, same thing. Then she said to me, you don't have enough tread on the pavement. These are two donuts rolling down the road. There's nothing to grip the pavement. We had created this rounded thing. So this thing was just swaying all over. And then she said, I suspect if these have been overinflated for a very long time, that they're going to be bald inside. So even though standing on the outside of that trailer and look at them, tons of tread look like perfectly healthy, good tires. We got down on our bellies and shined a flashlight on the interior insides of those two tires and they were completely bald. So having them overinflated had caused them to wear on the inside like that. Um, it also caused them to be rounded instead of flat so there was nothing to grab the road. So we ended up buying two new tires and a whole lot of donuts for the staff. <laughs> who were about to close um, when we showed up. And this poor lady really had to search for the tires. She didn't have the tires she needed. We had to drive 40 miles, go pick up tires and bring them back to her. So, so many lessons learned here. Number one, we should have asked a woman to begin with. I do think it's kind of hilarious that we pulled into two RV dealerships and both of them had men come out and tell us that everything was fine, even though everything was not fine. So 
Everyone, myself included, thought the problem had to do with the way it was hitched up. So maybe this was a mechanical problem and not a hitching problem. Like we were all thinking it's the hitch. Is it level? Yes. Is there enough tongue weight? Yes. Anti-sway bar? Yes. So this cute little lady in the pink t-shirt and the French manicure, her first thought was tires. And she was spot on. So... Maybe this was a job for a mechanic and not for an RV dealership. Lesson number two, and this is the biggest one, the biggest takeaway. You don't let anyone ever do your safety checks for you. I have never let anyone check, even my husband, check my safety or or do my hitching up for me. So um, we never check the tires because we were told that the RV dealership had checked it all and we were good to go. I just assumed the RV dealership knew what they were doing. And I I don't want to say RV dealership because it was really an RV storage place. So some nitwit over there just added air to the tires and never ever looked to see what the PSI was supposed to be. So if the previous owner had been doing that too, letting this guy fill her tires up for her and never checking them herself, it would explain why they were bald inside. So she was probably driving around, although she never had a sway problem, but she was probably driving around with overinflated tires, which is just as dangerous as underinflated tires. So my lesson here was never, ever let somebody else hook up your vehicle for you and do your safety checks for you. Even when my husband will hook up my trailer for me, I go out there and I go through every step myself. One time my husband hooked up for me and I just got in the car and I drove away and he hadn't looped the power plug from the trailer into the seven-way plug in the back of the car into the little uh, place I keep it safe and then it dragged on the ground and cut it in half. So he didn't know that I did that. So I didn't check after he did it. So never ever let anyone do your safety checking for you. Always check your own tires and everything else. Lesson number three. Always get an RV inspection from a licensed inspector, especially if it's an older unit. You know you are buying uh, something with some dimples in it when you buy a vintage or an older RV, but you want to make sure that thing is safe to drive. Axles, tires, rot on the underbelly, all things that you need to look at, and it is worth every penny. So you'll spend four to $600 having somebody check your trailer for you, but when you know that that's done and you don't have to worry about it, you have peace of mind because you can fix you know, wallpaper you don't like or you can change the decor and you can do all the pretty things, you can cover your things, but if you're not riding around in something that's safe, Everything is a white knuckle event and RVing is all about having fun. So here's my lessons about all the things I learned when I did everything the hard way. And, uh, you know, I don't want anybody to think um, that they can't do this because of what ifs. So there are sensible lessons we learn. And I think the biggest lesson is when something is going wrong to take it seriously. Like when we felt that sway, we did not keep driving. When I saw that check engine light come on, I was like, I better stop here and see what this is all about. Don't ignore things when they're happening and then have all of the proper tools and insurances and things to address them and then get them fixed and get on the road. So don't let fear stop you from making your girl camper dream come true. 
And that's our show for today. It was a long one, but we had a lot to talk about. I want to thank our friends at Go RVing, helping us find our way, and also our friends at Campco, making so many things that make our life on the road so much more pleasant. Also, our friends at Setzer's World of Camping in Huntington, West Virginia, General RV with 13 locations across the country, and Bankston's Motorhomes with five locations in Alabama and Tennessee, a number one Best in Business award winner that has been helping families make their RV travel dreams come true since the 1970s. So whether you're looking for a motorhome, a fifth wheel, a travel trailer, Bankston has something for you. And right now, they are getting ready to bring in all of their new units so there's clearance sales going on all the new inventories coming in they have so many of our girl camper favorites including that r pod and of course they carry my favorite the max which is 3140 pound dry weight and 57 square feet of interior storage there's literally something for everyone there when those new models come in the old ones have to go it's simple they need the floor space get over there or go online and go to bankstonmotorhome.com and find out what you can get. That's our show for this week, everybody. It's a wrap. Have a great week. Happy trails.